Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest joining me on today's episode. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Elite Ops Energy Strips. Elite Ops Energy Strips are the sublingual Listerine-type strips you put on your tongue. They've got 100 milligrams of caffeine. Gives you a boost to power you through your day or if you're in the mid-race. Great product. I like to bring them with me to Toughest Mudders or World Toughest Mudder or kind of any endurance thing. That way I can pack, pack my gels and have non-caffeinated gels and have the strips as an addition. So that way I don't have to pack like caffeinated gels and non-caffeinated gels. I can just bring one kind. And then if I want the caffeine, I can add it into whatever flavor I'm currently eating at the time. And if anyone wants some, you can use code CTG10. I believe they get you 10% off every order. So you can use it multiple times. It's not just on your first order. Speaking of elite ops and special operations, joining me, I have uh, the founder and CEO of Green Beret Challenge, which is now called Driven, Mark Ballas. So Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Evan. What's going on, buddy? Nothing much. So I'm going to read a run down a quick uh, of Mark's bio. He's got a lot in there because he's also got his military stuff in here, and I'll probably touch on some of that. I know some of the acronyms and abbreviations may be lost on people, but any of our military people that are listening to the show, I'm sure will enjoy some more of the details. So, right. So Mark's a Green Beret, Army Ranger, 26-year uh, career in the U.S. Army Special Operations. He's a Special Forces instructor and a government contractor and deployed all over the world. Let's see, he, used, he was, used to be in a 7th Special Forces Group and 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, created Green Beret Challenge, eight mile team challenge with the goal of quote unquote building better humans. And um, he's been race director for some pretty big events, right? So 2018 race director for the North American OCR championships. And then 2016, 17, 19, 18, 19 nominee for best race director, best mid-level race series and best North American race series through the website Mud Run Guide. He's a Pennsylvania native, now lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's currently working for a lethality task force and recently recruited to join a human trafficking rescue team, which I know is a big topic in the news right now. For a background on his military, 7th Special Force Group, he was an 18 Charlie and 18 Fox, if anyone knows what those means. I'll uh, just kind of leave it at that. And then 75th Ranger Regiment, 11 Bravo, so infantry guy. And then he's been through a whole bunch of the, like, like all the cool guy schools in the Army, he's pretty much been to, right? So Special Forces Ranger. Uh, Ranger EMT, Scout Swimmer, Jump Master, Spies Fry, Safawik, Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat, Master Breacher, Small Boat Operations, Small Unit Tactics Instructor, and over 20 deployments to the Middle East. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, Evan. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So, I, like I said, I, I know a lot of that, uh, those acronyms and abbreviations were lost on people, but I'm yeah. sure the, the military people appreciate a little more detail. Because I'm always like, whenever I hear a military person interviewed, they always like start to go into their bio and they touch on the wave tops. I'm always like, well, you know, what, what else? Like, I know there's a lot more cause there's like a, you know, there's all this huge, like uh, your record brief and stuff like that, that has all these details. Yeah. I mean, it's for simplicity. We always downplay and just try to keep it simple, but knowing who you were, who you are and your background, I figured I'd throw some extra in there. Yeah. All right. So I, I, we're going to talk about obviously Green Beret challenge at OCR in this episode and what, where you're going in 2020 and beyond because you're one of the few event series that's actually putting on events this year which we're going to talk about but then i also want to know about the history and also at the end of the episode we're going to talk a little bit about your experience in special forces and specifically at the special forces qualification course you know because you got to observe a lot of the students go through and see the ones that made it versus see the ones that didn't but you know last time i had a ranger on the podcast i had uh, mark odette with spartan pro and we never really got to the OCR stuff because we were so focused on the military stuff. So I'm going to push the military stuff to the end this time. Yeah, that's fine. So let's start off with uh, Green Beret Challenge. Like you said, you started in 2012. You know, where did the idea, I mean, I know where the idea came from, but what, you know, like, how did you come up with the idea? And then, you know, take me through kind of a little bit of the history of that event. Yeah, sure thing. I was, um, was actually teaching small unit tactics at the Special Forces Qualification course. And uh, this was, this, well, wow, uh, dates back to 2012. <clears throat> so I'm sitting in my apartment in Austin and I'm watching this Tough Mudder stuff and the Spartan stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, and then it just kind of slapped me in the face. There wasn't a whole lot of thought. I'm like, I, I can come up with a race. And then I was just like reliving my 
military career and obviously one of the biggest things for you and myself is was that uh, team week of special forces assessment selection probably a week we'll never forget so i'm looking at this i'm like that's the concept that's the format you know there's no team event in in obstacle course racing at the moment and so that was a you know a distinguishing factor for us so a way to break in so I just did some thinking about it and I, I bought some ammo crates and some bags and some sleds and I started putting all this stuff in there. I started running around my apartment complex. People look at me like I'm insane. And, and I'm like, I could just recreate, you know, obviously scale it back uh, significantly, but just take SF selection or portions of it and then just create a four person team event. And, and that was one of the biggest challenges or several, but one of them was how many people per team. So two is a partnership. That's not a team. Um, six or eight, yeah, that's probably going to be really difficult for that many people to, to get together and sync schedules and stuff like that. So we kind of landed on four. It was sort of like the perfect number. Um, there still was significant challenges early on to get people to understand what team racing was. But really the genesis dates back to um, my military career in Special Forces, predominantly selection. Um, <clears throat> and then watching the students go through small unit tactics and, and in uh, observing and watching the team dynamics and team building, storming, norming, performing, all that kind of stuff, which inherently ends up happening on every race course uh, during the commando challenge, which is in essence, the Green Bear Challenge. Gotcha. Now I know you've kind of gone through several transition phases. I remember seeing like an early video of Green Bear Challenge and uh, I think people were carrying around individual sandbags like by themselves, or maybe it was just like a ruck or something. And, and now there's like, um, you know, individual in a team race. And I believe you've gone through another change uh, as far as this past year referring to driven. So kind of just yeah. take us through that. So there was, there was a lot of challenges. Um, understanding the market and what, the, what our customer wanted, um, how to deliver a new format uh, safely, but challenging, you know, not only challenging for top tier athletes, but, you know, not to break off the people that are new to OCR. So that, that's a really difficult thing to figure out. Um, so we had to play with a format a little bit. I know when we, we did a couple of events in 2012, it was really proof of concept. <clears throat> and then 2015, we kind of slid in into OCR mainstream. And, and there's people that still talk about the 2015 event in Georgia where they basically had a 40 to 45 pound sandbag almost the entire time on the course. Um, I said eight miles, it was probably closer to 10. So we definitely have a habit of over delivering, as you know. Um, but the whole, the whole premise of the, the Greenberg Challenge was built on human performance, push, pull, carry, which your body's naturally built to do. So we wanted to stay away from, you know, mainstream obstacle, man-made obstacle construction, all that stuff. I didn't have, you know, the full background to dive into that right away. I wanted to use what I knew really well, and that was the push-pull-carry theory. So that's what got us started um, 2016, watching some of our events grow. We thought that, you know, we're, we're in obstacle course racing, but we're not as relevant as a mainstream obstacle course race like Spartan or Tough Mudder or Rugged Maniac, Conquer the Gauntlet, uh, Bone Frog Guys. <clears throat> so we decided to come up with an individual OCR to – not only remain relevant, but to increase our presence in the industry. So that was really the formation of that in 2016. Um, a lot of lessons learned there for you young entrepreneurs listening. Um, study your costs and look for those hidden costs because when you start building things from uh, raw material, it gets kind of pricey. And uh, your insurance costs go up and there's a whole laundry list of things that uh, you definitely kind of learn on the fly, but um, it's, it's been challenging. Uh, you know, I say becoming an Army Ranger and a Green Bray was the hardest thing I've ever done. I think running a business in OCR is probably the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> wow, that's, that's quite a statement. And I, I, I'd hope that uh, we've had, you know, Brett Stewart on the podcast and we've talked to David Mainprise and some of the other race owners. And I, I'm hoping now people understand that, you know, OCR is setting up an OCR is not, it's not cheap and it's not super easy. You know, I think people as athletes, when sometimes we show up and you're like, Oh yeah, you just throw out some markings and you know, yeah. you have people run through the woods. There's no problem. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more complicated than that. And 
you know, I, someone who, with a background like yours, who's further testifying to some of the challenges and problems you encounter, I think further, further backs that up. For sure. I mean, there's a laundry list of items that once I dove into this thing, I'm like, well, I never thought about that. And okay, that's kind of important. And that costs a lot of money. And from the onset, looking out uh, into the industry as a participant, like, oh, I, just like you're saying, I throw some stuff together, no big deal. Um, but from the inside out, there's so many hidden costs. And, and you're not, you're, most of us, we're not getting rich in OCR. There's yeah. another reason why we're doing it. We're doing because we have a passion for, you know, particularly for us, growing better, you know, building better humans, testing people mentally and physically, getting people to come out and, and take better care of themselves, creating that, that bond, that teamwork, that camaraderie that, you know, is so inherent to us military guys and just kind of, kind of taking parts of our life and shifted into this civilian hobby, sport industry, whatever we're called. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not cheap. Um, but on the back end, when people cross the finish line and they come up and they say, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, this is the best thing we've ever done. Thank you for doing this. That's the reward that we are looking for um, as race owners, especially military company race owners. We want to see the camaraderie. We want to, we want to see people grow from what we're producing as the military did for us. So you, you came to Kansas City, I think it was uh, two years ago. Maybe it was last year. I can't, I get my years confused. Anyway, the, you know, we had a bunch of the KCOCR people come out and do your event and they've done all sorts of OCRs. And the number of people who, when we crossed the finish line, they were like, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I was shocked. Like, just, compl- I was like, oh, well, you're OCR people. You should be fine. But I think it's, it's a different type of fitness and it's a different experience. Um, you know, carrying and dragging those weights it's awkward. So if you're not, if you're not used to being uncomfortable, it suddenly becomes a real challenge because if you're used to just kind of settling into your pace and, you know, you've practiced all the obstacles, you breeze through everything, but right. you know, there's, there's certain events that you do in Greenberry challenge that are going to hurt period. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how fit you are. They're going to be uncomfortable. For sure. Um, and and it, so I did your first, the first time I did one of your events was back in 2015. It was the day after uh, BFX Cincinnati. And some, someone had dropped out of a team on Sunday and they were like, Hey, Evan, you, you want to step in here? And I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of did that from, I like, that's my job. So I'm just not that interested. And they're like, it's free. And I was like, all right, I'll step in. So I I show up and one, I had a great time. I I ran with three people I've never met before. um, One male and two females. And my favorite part of the whole thing was we're doing it was one of the, uh, the weighted carries. So essentially it's poles. And I think we had a coffin with a bunch of sandbags in it or something. <laughs> and one of the, one of the girls on my team is like, ah, oh, my shoulders are killing me. And she's like, well, she's like, Evan, you've done this a lot. Like, how do I get my shoulders to stop hurting? And I was like, you don't like, yeah. that's just what it is. They just hurt and you accept it as the pain and the quicker you get it done, the quicker it ends. And yep. you just kind of, you just kind of ride it out. It's uh, so it's a different challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that that really plays on the mental aspect. You're like, you don't know how far that event is. And as you know, they're not short. Um, if you're if you're a four-person team, you're probably carrying something three-quarters of a mile or, or a mile in distance. <clears throat> and that mental anguish as each step <laughs> continues on that course, like, when's this, when's this crap going to end? And who's the madman that created this thing? And it just plays on your mental emotions. And then – the, the flip side is once you complete the event, like, oh, okay, cool. That, that really wasn't that bad. And then no, you move on to the next right. one and you're like, oh, I got to drag this sled for a mile. Are you insane? And it's so it's just repetitive over those eight to 10 miles. Um, it's, it's definitely difficult when you're doing it, but at the end, the sense of accomplishment is huge at the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, even if, um, even if your team doesn't do well, the, the sense of accomplishment is still there because like you were talking about earlier with the storming, norm reforming and, you know, developing that bond, you're definitely closer with those three people, you know, over the course of the hour to several hours, it may take you to finish the course. Um, yeah, no doubt. A lot of, a lot of bonds. I mean, look at the great Braves. They they were spawned from our race course. Um, oh, really? So that's, yeah. That's what, that's the genesis of the great Braves. They, they ran our event in 2015 in Georgia and uh, four guys in particular, uh, the founding fathers, as we call them. 
and they they came up to me like that was the hardest thing we've ever done and you know maybe a month or two later they started come up with they took the green beret and created the gray beret and it's any of the guys that have been recruited into the gray berets are 50 and over and and are you know participating ocr athletes and each year we hold a board and we nominate who we want to bring into uh, the Great Brace. So I had my inauguration. Uh, it's coming up on two years now. Oh, nice. So that, that was kind of cool that they started the Great Brace from the Green Bay Challenge, and then I was nominated to uh, be a part of it. Um, this September will be two years. So we're talking about, you know, the positive emotions that come out at the end of the, at the finish line. Well, there's another common phrase that typically comes out of people's mouth at the end of the finish line. And, um, <laughs> I try to keep this pod- podcast PG or maybe PG 13, sure. but it's, it's F ballast and a four letter word, obviously. So kind of where did that come from? And I, you know, where, you know, it, you've kind of, you've pushed it even farther, right? There's patches. Like I have, a, I think I have a patch that says, one, Oh no, I have the, the plain green beret challenge one. I don't yeah. the PG one, but you know, there's patches people. Yeah. I see people posting pictures of it and writing it out of sandbags and all sorts right. of crazy stuff. I honestly have no idea who the first person is who created it. Uh, I could not even come up with a name who actually started that. It just kind of hit really quick and really fast. And um, I do recall this is dating back to 2016 and we were doing our first um, actual OCR race uh, in Texas and my parents were attending and the patches we're being put out on the merchandise tent and the shirts and everything. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so I told my staff, I was like, Hey man, probably not cool for my parents to see that here. So let's say that for another race. And we all got a big laugh at it. Yeah. Well, obviously we kept that from them. I'm, I'm sure they had seen somebody wearing the patch or the, the t-shirt by now. They've never said anything to me, but that wasn't something I, I really wanted to have on hand while my parents were hanging out at the race. But, um, I, I think it started as a joke and I actually, I think it came from when uh, there used to be the patch of F norm from Spartan. I think that's probably where the idea came from. Um, so whoever started the F ballast patch, I have no idea. It, it's pretty funny. Um, and it just kind of comes from, you, you'll hear that phrase uh, quite often on the race course, back to what you're saying, you're carrying this thing, my shoulders hurt, my back hurts, everything hurts who is this guy? And then the common phrase gets tossed around all over the race course. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Now you mentioned earlier the Georgia course, and I know that's got a crazy awesome venue that I've, I've wanted to get to, uh, just hasn't worked out with my schedule. Are you still holding events there? And so that's one question. And the two second question is, you know, can you describe some of the, the venue you'd use for the Georgia course? Um, We've had a couple different venues in Georgia. Uh, most recently, I guess I started about a year, two years ago, um, up in Dawsonville, which is, you'll know this, you'll, this place, it's about uh, 20, 30 minutes south of Ranger Camp. Yeah. Up at Dahlonega. Mountain so you know the terrain, it's not flat. No. <clears throat> so it's uh, a friend of mine owns a farm there. He's got about 150, 175 acres. They were doing motocross predominantly, but it's just private property. He has a big lake and he's got trails and he's got woods and they're riding their motocross bikes. And one of my participants from Georgia says, Hey, I have a friend of mine has this farm. Um, he'd be open to doing events there. Um, so I met with him and, you know, became friends and we've had, I think four or five of our events there so far. So this November, November 7th, we're doing uh, our char race series and the commando team challenge, both in one day. Uh, at the Dawsonville property at Joe's farm. Nice. And I know you've also used, since it was like a disaster uh, preparedness center in the past. Yeah. yeah. It's called guardian centers. And it's in central Georgia, Georgia, about 30 minutes south of Macon. Um, so it's like a, as you're saying, a, a like a disaster preparedness um, FEMA type facility where they do uh, rescue operations, military training, law enforcement training, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, hands down, the coolest venue we've ever had. Um, but uh, I'd say two years ago, the owner uh, no longer wanted commercial events on his property. So he just wanted to focus on military and law enforcement. Ah, okay. Uh, the only people that were going there was the zombie race and ourselves. Um, so we feel pretty fortunate. It's sort of like our home venue in Georgia. We really wanted to go back. 
but the, the leadership there just has, has different plans for the, for the property. I, every year I reach out to them like, Hey, can we come back this year? And like, no, oh, we're still doing what we're doing. So I don't know if we'll ever get back there. Or I hope we do one day, but it was definitely one of the coolest places to run a race. Yeah. I remember seeing pictures from that online and just being like blown away being like, that is such a cool, absolute course race venue. Cause you know, oh, it, it, it looks like, like it looks like you're running through the walking dead, you know, like, it's like a disaster everywhere, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the only thing we couldn't actually climb into is have these, you know, intentionally uh, blown apart buildings for, you know, I they make movies there and all kind of other crap too, but we couldn't go into the destructive buildings, but the tunnels, the flipped over subways, the flooded villages, it was just, and then if you're a creative human being, I mean, it's wide open to come up with some crazy stuff for that race. Awesome. Now let's start talking you know, 2020 and beyond, you know, what events do you have coming up? What's their format and, you know, what does the future look like? Um, we've done a couple of virtual events, obviously, given what's going on in, in, uh, with the global climate right now. Um, we have one more virtual event that takes place uh, at the end of August. And then, so you just can register online at driventoperform.com, complete the uh, the challenge is set for both individuals or teams, and then you submit results and, and we send out some really cool um, medallions for that. But our first live event will be September 11th, our Wicked Trail Series, and that's going to be, it was in Chattanooga, and we teamed up with uh, Scenic River Mud Run with uh, Julie Wolf, and the venue had to change. They, they were not going to commit to giving us a permit about till a week before the race. Obviously that makes no sense. Oh my goodness. So Julie and her team found a venue only about 20 miles south of Chattanooga. It's actually in Georgia, um, right outside of Dalton, Georgia. So the address is updated on all the registration pages. So that Friday we're going to do our, our trail race. And then I'm helping Julie out with the, her obstacle course race that Saturday. And then there's a, a mini endurance challenge with some of her, uh, fitness friends are putting on that afternoon on Saturday as well. So it'll be three events across that weekend, September 11th and 12th. Uh, we're back in Kansas city, um, October 10th with our trail race series and yeah. back in Georgia at Anderson farms, which is now Lily Creek farm. Uh, they've rebranded themselves and that's November 7th. Okay. And then for looking forward to 2021, you know, the, the name of the, co so the, the company Greenberry challenge is no longer a thing, right? It's now driven. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so what happened is, you know, back in 2012 when I had this vision of the Greenberry challenge and this team race, I had no idea of, of where this could go. I didn't, I didn't have any lateral vision of creating multiple, multiple events under that branded name. So we got to a point where we've dabbled in so many different events. We have some 12 and 24 hour challenges. We have an obstacle course race. We have a short course. We have the team challenge. Uh, it just didn't make sense from a marketing perspective and branding perspective of all these different events under Green Beret Challenge. It just didn't make sense. And this has probably been in the making for a couple of years. And then given this lull of racing this year, sort of the right time to take a step back, relook at everything we've done. What do we want to do in the future and how does it make sense from a branding and marketing perspective? So after some, some more gaming and lots of late nights to sit around thinking, we come up with driven, um, which is very, it's a powerful word when you look at human performance and, and that's really what we are. We've more, more of a human performance company that produces events than just a single obstacle course race or a single team race. So Driven, uh, we adopted and we've individually branding all the events under the parent company. So we have the Commando Challenge, which was the Green Beret Challenge, the, both individually and team. We have Octane, which is our short course we've developed. We have the Wicked Trail Race Series, and we still have the 12 and 24-hour events, although based on what's going on this year, we just haven't found a really good window to be able to produce all these so hopefully moving forward in 2021, um, some of the restrictions um, loosen up. Some of the venues get a little bit more comfortable with us coming out. 
And it's really the biggest thing for us. I, I can't speak for other race companies. Our biggest challenge was finding venues that were allowing us to come out and, and host events. Um, the state parks were a little nervous. Uh, your, your public places definitely are not interested in, in having a bunch of people on their property. But luckily, we have some relationships with some friends that it's, it's privately owned properly and or property rather, and, and they're completely fine with us coming out. So hopefully 2021, the restrictions on some of the other venues that we use loosen up and we can back to uh, a more full schedule of racing. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. And like I said, I've done your, I've done your team race back in 2015. I've done team race. And I think it was 2018 individual race also 2018. So uh, it's a great series of events and the what I, I really liked about the individual event was how you know you mentioned you build you build all the own your own obstacles and it was like I, it has like a really like gritty feeling i really like it how the you know the rig was like a wooden it was like wooden trussing with ropes um yeah. as opposed to being like this man-made uh metal superstructure <laughs> with these like pre-made holds it was very like i said gritty yeah and um it was also you know, the individual race still had a lot of carries in it. So it really evened out, you know, really favored to a different type of athlete where I remember being in like fifth place or something, um, like a mile in because the bigger, it was like all heavy carries at the beginning and the bigger guys were just, you know, it was, it was less of their body weight and they were just cruising along. So it was cool to see some guys up front who normally are, um, you know, in the first mile are typically a little bit further back. So. You're saying everything I wanted to achieve. So when we started that individual course, we still wanted to keep that flavor of the Greenberry Challenge with the push-pull-carry stuff. And I, and I said from the onset, you know, I want to see a different athlete winning these races. I want to see a well-rounded endurance athlete winning some of these obstacle course races because typically it's the dude that can run the fastest that has good obstacle technique. So I did – I want to keep it raw. I want to keep it gritty. I made a comment actually this a few years ago. Beard and I were in Canada and we were building this monster low rig out of these fresh cut logs. There was no dimensions that were equal. And he's like, dude, man, why don't you just get, get some like metal and we'll, we'll build a metal rig. I was like, I'll never have metal on my race course. <laughs> <laughs> he's holding me accountable to that. Uh, we talk about it all the time. We always laugh about it. Um, but I, I wanted that military feel and that military look of just rugged raw i mean when you run up to that thing it's a monster you've got these big six by six timbers and these ropes hanging off like yeah that that looks pretty pretty grueling so we wanted the raw gritty military feel but we still wanted to maintain all our endurance events or at least some of them that we could do individually and uh, just to see a different type of athlete come out and, and give it a chance for, you know, some of these other athletes to be uh, hitting the podium in our races. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think the, the, the one individual one I did, I thought that was, I thought you, I thought you hit the nail on the head there. So uh, great job there. Thanks buddy. Let's start talking about some of your military experiences and military training. Now we mentioned you worked at special forces qualification course. So, uh, if, if people aren't unfamiliar, essentially there's a two to three week tryout process called selection uh, made, which, you know, a lot of the aspects were taken onto the TV show, the history channel, the selection, or if you follow go ruck, the selection when they do their events, <clears throat> but the real, the real ones, two to three weeks long. Uh, and then they do a 14 month pipeline where you're, you know, it's broken down by phases where people have to do small unit tactics, so essentially patrolling in the woods where you carry your backpack and go on pretend missions. Uh, language phase, you learn a foreign language, you learn a specialty um, like engineer or medical or weapons and stuff like that. And then there's like a big culmination exercise called Robin Sage. Now you, you said you worked in the small unit tactics phase, that's correct? Yeah, correct. All right. Now the, you know, take us through, you know, at that point, guys had already been through the, I'd say the really, really physical, difficult stuff. I mean, it, small unit tactics is not easy, but you right. know, the, the point where they're like purposely trying to push you out of the course um, by breaking you is already passed. You know, at this point, it's more of competency and ability to learn skills. But can you take us through some of the, you know, from your, because as an instructor, you saw hundreds of people go through the course, you know, like what was separating the guys who persevered and finished small unit tactics versus the ones that would quit or fail? 
Um, so SUT, aside from selection, as you mentioned, is definitely the hardest and most rigorous portion. You get through that, <clears throat> go back to your home unit, and then once you get orders to, to actually attend the, the actual course, you show up. Um, so sometimes there's a, there's a delay. It uh, depends on orders, depends on your unit, depends on when the next qualification course starts. So that could be a few months to almost a year waiting to attend the actual course. I'm so, going to interrupt for a second. Yeah, I went, I went to selection and then went on a 14-month deployment and then a six-month uh, officer training, plus probably about two months of moves before I went back to the Q course. Yeah, so... I, I had almost two years between selection and uh, starting the course. Yeah, so you know where I'm going with this. Like, <clears throat> I went to selection in 97, and then it was a year later I went to the Q course 98. But I was also in the Ranger Regiment, and, you know, it's expected to remain in shape, top, tip-top shape at all times. So fitness was a non-issue for me. From some of these other units that may not pride themselves on being absolutely physically fit, and you have six months to a year or more, or military uh, a combat deployment um, between those two events, then, you know, you're not getting quality fitness if you're hanging out in Baghdad or if you're hanging out in Afghanistan, other than slamming weights. That's right. So your endurance goes out the window. Straight garbage. Yep. Yes. <laughs> you're eating like crap, you know, deal. Especially you're sitting in some cob or fob eating MREs for 14 months and you're, you're absolutely worthless. So um, a lot of different variables. So when they do arrive, they are expected to be in, in some semblance of, of decent shape. We do put them through a PT test on day one when they arrived at SUT. Um, road marches, obstacle courses, you know, all the stuff that you would see uh, you did in selection. We'll revisit that during the first week of SUT. Um, but the really the, the, the foundation of that is creating leaders and learning how to operate with uh, sleep and food deprivation uh, under extreme conditions. You know, you get really hot in North Carolina in the summertime and actually can get really cold in the winter. Um, and the location that we uh, hold this course is in the swampy part of North Carolina. It's not really significant elevation change, but we, you're, you're constantly wet and it doesn't matter what time of year. If you go through the winter or you go through the summer, you're, you're getting buried in those swamps and it's just, that's the way it is. So aside from the, the physical challenges of carrying an 80, 90, 120 pound rucksack every day for eight weeks is the mental challenge of being thrown into a team with 11 other dudes and figuring it out. So you go back to the whole storming, norming, performing phase of team building and leadership. Every day, every day when we go out on a patrol, there's a new key leader, there's new, new assignments and new missions. So you have to learn how to work together, um, put your physical agony, agony aside and learn how to be a team player, how to best accomplish that mission. And then, switch out and repeat the same thing the next day with a different group of dudes. So it's an, an evolution that's always changing every four to six hours. And we change the scenarios based on student input, what they do or fail to do. Um, so a lot of variables are thrown there, right? And what they think they've got a solid plan and maybe they didn't plan for a contingency and we'll throw that contingency in there just to throw them off. So constantly keeping those wheels spinning from a mental perspective and learn how to deal with um, ambiguity, how to deal with an uncertain environment and variables that you cannot control. Um, and that spans, that changed the course a couple of times. When I went through it was eight weeks. When I taught, um, was, some classes were six, some classes were eight, but the, you know, every couple of years, they're always kind of uh, changing the course a little bit. The good idea fairy shows up and, yeah, he's always yeah, floating around. Yeah, for sure, especially out there at Camp McCall. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but I, I think the, to your point that the, the successful people come from the combat arms, they come from the Ranger Regiment, come from the A-2nd Airborne, 101st Airborne, and some of your more prolific infantry units. Um, I think some of the challenges are from what we call in the military soft skill MOSs. So if you were maybe a truck driver or you were a pack clerk or you had a non-combat MOS, um, this patrolling and small unit tactics is very foreign to you and you probably have never been exposed to it before. So that learning curve is huge. Plus you got this backpack on your back every day and you're just getting crushed and it, 
and you're just drinking from the fires and it doesn't slow down. No. You either keep up or you're out. Um, so it comes down to that personal initiative responsibility of, of just bearing down and making it happen and getting your mind right. Uh, it, Cause we're not slowing down for anybody. We don't have time you either on board um, and you can, you can hang or, you know, maybe it's not for you or maybe, maybe you get a, and this has happened to many people. They'll, they'll go through the course and there'll be a, you know, a non-select for moving forward. They'll get recycled back into that phase of training. They'll get a month or six weeks off to regroup, uh, maybe work on their fitness, work on some of their uh, tactical and technical proficiencies. And, you know, if it was, if it's a student that's worth saving, we see, we see some uh, potential and he'll get recycled and he gets a chance to come back. Um, but the other side is the, as you know, the attributes. Um, so your performance, how you inter interface with other team members and how you interface with cadre can be huge. If you just got a crappy attitude and, and you're not there for the right reasons, the course will expose those weaknesses. And then those are the folks that, that uh, will not get an opportunity to come back. Yeah. hundred percent agree with, I mean, everything you just said, just spot on pretty much on all aspects. So, um, yeah, the, I remember, you know, Ranger school, we talked about when we had Marco Odette, we talked a lot about Ranger school, uh, compared to small unit tactics from my experience, the, the sleep deprivation was not nearly as bad, but the weights were heavier on the backpacks. Like I remember just being, I remember doing some movements and being like, this is so heavy. It is ridiculous. Yeah. And, um, and I liked, I liked small unit tactics because it was set up in, in my opinion, a more realistic manner where, you know, we do a couple days in a row of like nonstop operations mm -hmm. and then we go back and reset and refit sure. and then uh, plan and then go back out for a couple days versus range school is just like, we're just going to drive you into the ground nonstop for two months. And like, yeah. I mean, people are, people are borderline non-functional at ranger school. I mean, oh, I, there's, I mean, all about, uh, it's all about, you know, <laughs> how can I ruin your life for the next eight weeks? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. The world. <laughs> versus, you know, you know, the, you're absolutely exhausted and tired and sleepy and hungry at, SUT, but it was, it, it, it made more sense. It was, it was more realistic in my opinion. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people ask like, what's the, what's the comparison and what's the differences at SUT and the Q course, you know, the truth is we're not trying to replicate Ranger school in any shape or form. We are trying to replicate what a 12 man team will possibly do in an extreme environment, regardless of where it's at on the globe. So it, as you alluded to, the weights are extreme. So you have a 12-man team, two is one, one is none. I'm carrying two med kits. I'm carrying two radios. I'm carrying double basic load of ammo. I'm carrying two of everything. And that's – you've got a cross load across the team, and it just – it gets ridiculous. Um, so that is one of the – definitely the biggest differences. And then some – you know, some of the cats going out on, on a specific mission will even have more weight depending on what your, your function is for that particular patrol. Yep. But it was never an intent and it never will be the intent to replace Ranger School. It's just learning how to do um, combat operations in a somewhat denied or uh, completely denied territory with uh, little to no support and everything's on your back. I don't remember how much my backpack was at SUT because I don't really remember weighing them very often. I just remember being significantly heavy. Yeah. Uh, however, for the final exercise, essentially, mm -hmm. you know, Robin Sage, you do a, says you, you pretend to infill a foreign country, uh, which is essentially you're going into some random part of North Carolina. And for that one, we did weigh our backpacks and my backpack was, we, I thought we were on the lighter side compared to some of the other teams. They yep. were 120 pounds each. It's exactly. I was just going to say mine was 120 when I weighed in and we actually jumped into Pine Land. Oh, so yeah, I had a three. <laughs> At a thousand feet, I mean, I was on the ground in like 15, 20 seconds, just getting sucked to the ground with that rucksack. Yeah, I remember. So, one, you couldn't put the backpack on by picking it up. Like, I had to sit down yep. and then like roll onto your all fours and then stand up. Yep. And I remember breathing heavy. I wasn't moving. Like, you're just standing there and you're breathing heavy because there's so much weight pressing on your lungs. Yep. You're like, <sighs> and during our in, during our infill, our instructor kept being like, you know, our he was like, he's like, we, we should stop and take a rest. And I'd be like, just keep moving. I was like, it's not going to get any easier. Yep. And we, uh, 
we were apparently ahead of schedule. I didn't know this at the time because I'm just a student, but yeah. we're ahead of schedule. And he, he takes one of our guides and that was supposed to be guiding us into the, uh, the territory and is like, he essentially gives him a, you know, a, a leg injury. So now we have this like 200 pound dude plus all of our backpacks. And we're like, we're playing some shuttle game where like you carry your backpacks forward. You have to go back for the guy, yep. you know, and, and you have to keep security at all times. So it's like, ah, yep. oh, it was just, it was like torture. We're going up this hill. Oh yeah. Good times. We, um, we had an 18 hour infill. So we parachuted in linked up with our partisan and he gave us the location of this camp and we walked for 18 hours and there was a few other bat boys on my team. Uh, bat boys refers to guys from a range regiment. So there's a few of us bat boys on my team and two of them were from my company down at 175 in Savannah. So we know each other for a few years now and we're like, hell with this man we're just going to keep on going until we get there like you we're not stopping it's just the agony uh is just going to continue until we get to where we're going so let's just get it done but yeah that was kind of interesting 18 hours and then once we got to um a location near the the base camp that you know there's some representative there and he walked us in circles for three hours too so yeah (laughs) (laughs) the next time you finally get there and and then you know the games begin yeah and if you're hearing these stories, again, the like like you said earlier, you know, true to its source material, like some of your races are longer than they sh- than they necessarily <laughs> advertise, and the weights right. are feel heavier than maybe they they uh, advertise. Yep, for sure. Now, at Camp McCall, there is a famous obstacle course called Nasty Nick. Mm-hmm. Can you you know for the for the OCR people that are listening, which is pretty much everyone that's listening to this podcast. Can you describe Nasty Nick in terms of, you know, maybe compare it to some other series or compare it to um, something that they're more familiar with? Because, you know, because I've done it twice and it was, uh, I don't even know how many years ago. It was a long time ago, yeah. years ago. So I got into, I did Nasty Nick and I did the Derby Queen before I got into OCR. So my memory of it may be a little bit skewed, um, but uh, I think you have more recent experiences of it than I do. Yeah, I've done it, I've done it more times than I care to remember, but. Um, I'm not sure we can we can either the Darby probably compare the Darby a little bit more to OCR than the Nasty Nick because they're just so massive. Um, so it's not as long; it's roughly a mile long. Um, there's no um, like push pull carry type events other than the cadre smoking you in between obstacles just to keep your heart rate up. Um, the rope climbs I don't know 25 30 feet. So you go the first major obstacle is like a 30 foot rump climb transition to a diagonal rope down. Um, then you, the other one that, that sticks out to me is the, um, the uh, caving ladders <laughs> that are on an angle. And I, that's at least 30, if not 40 feet in here. And you're climbing up these caving ladders and they're, they're wobbling left to right. And just holding on for dear life to get up over the top and come back down the other side. So I think the biggest takeaway is just, there, then there's just obstacle after obstacle. There's probably, I lost count, maybe 20, 22 obstacles jammed in that mile. So, you know, every 10 steps, every 15 steps, you have an engagement. So you get no break. And it's just obstacle after obstacle. There's a couple tunnels in there. There's a lot of ropes, a lot of rope climbs. Um, yeah. I remember some, there being a, a ton of rope climbs. And like yeah, you said, the obstacles, are back, the obstacles are back to back. And it's not like, Oh, you know, hop over this low wall. It's like it's like no. legit big obstacle build. It's a permanent course, so they don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they build out of these huge telephone poles. Yeah. Um, there's some some gnarly technical ones too. Like you gotta sit there. Like I don't know, I don't know how I'm doing this. <laughs> Anybody else want to go in front of me? <laughs> but you're running the whole time, so you know you're competing. Whether you're doing it in a selection or whether you're doing a Q course, everything's a test. Everything's a competition. Everything's a race. So you just when they say go, you just, you just get after it and you figure it out. Right on. All right. I think we're going to start wrapping things up. Uh, before we go, we like to ask, you know, tell us something people would be surprised to know about you. So uh, what do you got for us, Mark? <laughs> I'm glad this is a PG show. Um, <laughs> good on you. Um, there's a few, but one that sticks out is, some of my close friends though, but actually joined the army on a dare. 
my my college girlfriend said to me one day i was bartending you know, going to school whatever and she said hey um wh- what are you doing with your life i'm like, i don't know I'm going to school bartending playing softball i mean I-, I have no idea she's like oh i think you should join the military my dad did it was like the best thing ever i'm like nah no, no desire to do such a thing um but at the same time a really good friend of mine back in Western Pennsylvania that had been in the army, got out and was going back in and we talked about it. We were sitting in his parents' basement reading this magazine, had these army rangers on the scene. He's like, hey, I'm gonna be an army ranger. What are those dudes? So we started reading this thing and there was, it was a excerpt of some guys in the slums down at 6RTB. And I'm like, oh, that looks pretty cool. So fast forward, he uh, goes back on active duty, um, calls me this is way before cell phones he calls my parents house hey i'm down in savannah at this ranger unit you need to go talk to this recruiter so i'm kind of getting jazzed up about it i'm not telling my college girlfriend anything and uh so i go to the recruiter long story short i joined the army my parents were pretty surprised too because i didn't talk to them until after i come home and say hey join the army today and they about lost their mind <laughs> um and my grandmother crying what are you doing and uh so i go to dinner that night with my my college girlfriend and say, Hey, you know, I was thinking a lot about what you said about my life and what I should do. I said, you know, I took your advice and, and, uh, I joined the army today. She's like, I was joking. <laughs> I go, well, I leave in six weeks. So there's that. I'm but, guessing that relationship didn't last much longer. You know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> by, the time I, by the time basic training was over, she had already been moved on to some, something else. So yeah, yeah. The, a new Jody for sure. Um, but all joking aside, I was hands down the best decision I ever made for myself. Yeah. hundred percent agree on that. Also. I absolutely, I've loved, while I don't love every specific aspect of my arm experience. I love it as an overall thing. You know, it's just been, just been great. Yeah, opened up, opened up so many doors and taught me some, such a wide variety of skills. That's been, uh, you just, you can't learn some of that stuff anywhere else. Like it doesn't, you just can't. You know, it's, you have to learn it through experience and through, um, you know, the, the unique skill sets that they teach you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just like you said, it's opened up every single door um, since getting out of the military. Everything that I've gotten involved in had some relationship to my military background, my experience, or connections I made throughout my military career. Right on. Yeah, I joined the Army because I was in the Boy Scouts, and a couple of the older boys went in, and I liked – boy scouts and i saw the army as like the next logical step yeah i mean uh, it kind of is and it was it actually was a step it was my boy scout troop when i was you know I'm, I'm in high school was like extremely militant like i mean we used to wear combat boots and go to the <laughs> shooting range like i got in trouble in high school because i had pictures of me and my friends at the shooting range in my locker <laughs> i got called to the principal's office as a senior um and actually when i went into you know i went to the officer side so i went to rotc when i entered college and it it actually felt like a step backwards like the people in rotc again because it's not you're not in with just combat arms dudes you're with the whole spectrum so like the people in rotc seem softer than the my boy scout troop i was like what's wrong with you people you guys gotta like man up a little bit more (laughs) so um that's funny yeah good stuff all right. Now, before we go, any final uh, news you want to share, uh, shout outs you want to give or final plugs for upcoming events? Um, just hoping we can get things back on track this year. I know, I know it's a lot of race companies are suffering, uh, us included. Um, so hopefully I, what I really like is, is for the participants to feel safe and, and want to come back out and start racing and, and follow their passions of what got them started in this industry. Um, just come on out and support your local race companies. Um, just want to reach out to my, my pro team, Lance Johnson, Richard Estep, and Austin Hutchins, Don and Rosie, part of our crew, and Mallory, Tim, and Chris are our ambassadors throughout the United States and Georgia, Ohio, and Texas. And uh, we hope to see you guys here racing uh the second half of this year yeah and if anyone wants to hear more from lance we had him on the podcast i don't know it was like probably two years ago so you can dig through the archives and find him find him in there we go into again deep dive into green beret challenge at the time and i think for those people who are a little more nervous about going back into the race environment i think your event's a perfect a perfect like 
step into that environment because, you know, four man teams, you, you can show up with your small group and you can wait at the back of the start wave and, you know, go and you're, you're, you're socially distant from everyone, but the three people you showed up with. So I think that's, I think that's very, very logical uh, step for anyone that, that may be nervous, but. In, as well as our, our trail series too, we specifically um, changed one of the events. It was actually, we were going to do the, uh, the octane obstacle course in Kansas city. And we talked to the venue and they were more comfortable with us doing a trail race. So that's why that was, we switched that a couple months ago. Um, so they can social distance and, and, you know, we can make it safe for everyone. And, and we're not worried about, uh, people touching obstacles and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, whatever your thoughts are, you just come on out have a good time with us and, and hopefully we get past this crap. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you make sure now's the time to be supporting brands like Mark's and uh, local series. So to make sure they're still around, you know, you know, three, four years down the line. So, you know, grab your friends, bring them out, bring them out to the race and uh, you know, have a great time. And for any of our listeners, you can order books and bleg mitts off my website, teamstrengthspeed.com. If you like a lot of the special operations, special forces talk we had on this podcast, I suggest you pick up a copy of my book, Ultra OCR Man from Special Forces Soldier to Record Setting Professional Obstacle Course Racer. It's available on digital hard copy and audiobook. And the, you know, the, I essentially have two chapters in there that essentially go through random war stories and ranger school and selection and some of the other stuff. Um, Actually, I don't, I don't really dive too deep into selection. I go to very broad wave, very high wave tops on that. But uh, you get a lot of war stories in there. I had some friends read it and they were like, like, I forgot I was reading an obstacle course racing book for two chapters. It was, um, they, they really, you know, a lot of those, a lot of the stories, you know, I, I would tell, if I told you, Mark, you'd be like, oh yeah, I have a similar story. Sure. Um, but for civilians, it's like, you guys were doing what now? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah. It's, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> so, um. You know, anyone who, who likes military stuff, I think you, you really enjoy that. And then obviously the obstacle course racing stuff or um, they've wrote it in a manner where I think anyone can pick it up, whether you're obstacle course racer or just someone who likes a good story. And then also Conquer the Gauntlet Pro OCR Workouts to Go. So my latest book is now available on Amazon. So it's on digital download. And I just figured out how to do like hard copy publishing through Amazon. So if someone prefers a hard copy of that book, you can pick it up there too. Um, yeah, it's just 75 plus workouts. Essentially it's like a pocket workout book that you can carry with you, whether you're going to travel or, you know, just looking for something different to do. And it's broken down by topic and venue, right? So if you have access to a gym, a normal gym, if you have access to a, a ninja type gym or just like a, a crappy gym in your hotel, it gives you a bunch of workouts you can do that are OCR specific, uh, focus for your, your specific set of goals that can help you prepare. And it was written by combination of me and then other members of the uh, conquer the gauntlet pro team so you'll see workouts there labeled like randy lackey's ab complex or something like that or you know matt willis's killington mountain prep so a lot of specific workouts in there written by the athletes again who actually do them all right we're gonna take we're gonna get going mark it was great talking to you hope to see you later this year in kansas city i don't think i'm working that weekend so i i think i'm available so i will be out there and yeah Let's, uh, let's get through this and we'll get back to normal racing again soon. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Evan. All right. Take the way.